Hey guys, welcome to Spirit Pig. This is the show that explores how to live a fulfilled life. I'm Duncan CJ and today I'm talking with Michael Port. Michael has written six books, including Book Yourself Solid, Beyond Book Solid, Book Yourself Solid Illustrated, The Contrarian Effect, the New York Times bestseller, The Think Big Manifesto, and his brand new book, Steal the Show. He has been described as an uncommonly, an uncommonly honest author by the Boston Globe, a marketing guru by the Wall Street Journal. Uh, as an actor, he's appeared on our screens in The Pelican Brief, Sex and the City, Law and Order, and numerous other shows. And these days he can be found keynoting conferences and inspiring audiences all around the globe on multiple topics but about thinking big that's one of like the key things and we're definitely going to dive into that today michael thank you so much for being here uh, you're welcome look at your smile you've got a great smile <laughs> I, can t- I can tell why you have a popular show here you know and i can tell why you do it on video rather than audio so they can see you you look like just such a bright and happy guy that's good stuff <laughs> We were chatting about, actually a second ago, we were talking about, um, because we've got a fellow podcaster here, and we were talking about how you think you've got it down, you've, you've, got, the, you've got like the setup, and then suddenly like, there's a mower in the background, and um, I literally, I can just hear in the background, just today, just after we said that, like a, like a big band has just started in the background, so I'm going to oh, get really? this even closer. There's actually, we, we were joking about that anyway, and I've just heard a tuba, I haven't heard a tuba in about five years, but I thought a tuba has just started in the street outside, so... That's- Let's, let's get this microphone even closer just so we can try and get rid of the tuba in the post-production. I, I don't hear any tuba, Perfect. as you call it. <laughs> uh, as we, we call it a tuba, which sounds terrible, but it sounds much better when you say tuba, the way you say it. Uh, so it sounds good, but you, know, you can just make it part of the show. Whenever you start the show, you know, uh, uh, there's a big band introduction. Yeah. I know. Uh, Pretend it's for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, this latest book, I think, yeah, it's out on pre-order. I mean, it's out on the 6th. Steal the show. What, what's, what, what, what's that about? Uh, steal the show. Subtitle is From Speeches to Job Interviews to Deal Closing Pitches. How to Guarantee a Standing Ovation for All the Performances in Your Life. That's Dude. the subtitle. <laughs> and the book is really, really good. I'm so proud of this book. And this is my last one. I keep saying that. <laughs> I keep saying, but this I feel like is my last one. I feel like this is the book I always wanted to write. I finally wrote it. And it's all about performing in the high stakes situations of your life. So it is definitely a tour de force on public speaking techniques. No doubt about it. You'll learn more about public speaking reading this than you uh, probably even knew you needed to learn because heroic public speaking is uh, the companies that we have a number of different companies do a number of different things, but it's one of our primary companies and we teach public speaking and we guarantee we can make anybody a better public speaker. But the book is not just for people who want to speak publicly. The book is for people who want to shine in all the spotlight moments of your life. Because if you think about life for a second, your life is in large part made up of how you perform in the various high stakes situations of your life. And how you perform during those situations determines the narrative that is the story of your life which determines the quality of your life. So if you don't do well when the pressure's on, it's hard to play a big game. But if you do really well when the pressure's on, then you can play as big a game as you want. So what I do is I take my years of experience as an actor and my training as an actor, and I show you how you can apply acting technique without being an actor, without being an entertainer. You can apply acting technique, performance principles, to 
everyday situation. So you can be a much better authentic performer because authenticity is essential. I don't want, I want to cut this right off the bat before anyone even thinks it. I want to just do away with this idea that performance is pretending in some way that it's, it's inauthentic in some way. I think that's just an easy way to excuse yourself out of being a performer because it's, it's sort of like sales. People say, you know, I don't want, if I don't want to sell, I want to be sleazy and I don't want to be. And so I ask you, I ask, I, I, are you sleazy? I say, and they say, no. And they say, well, you don't have to worry about it. It's the same thing with performance. I ask, are you, if they, if they, if they're worried about being inauthentic, I say, are you inauthentic? And they say, no, of course not. I say, well, you don't have to worry about it. If you're inauthentic, you'll come across inauthentically as a performer. If you're authentic, you'll come across authentically as a performer. Interesting. So it's just, yeah, it just, it just amplifies what you already are. And as long as you are true to your values already, then it will just be congruent. Everything you do, whether it's, whether you're talking about sales, whether you're talking about business, whether you're talking about, you know, asking a girl out on a date, whether you're talking about, you know, doing this or that. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's just. Well, look, I, I even write about first dates in the book because <laughs> a first date is a performance. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, Chris Rock has a great joke. He says that you don't show up for your first date. Your representative shows up on your first date. Now we're laughing because there's some truth to it. Yeah. And we know, however, that if we're inauthentic on a first date, we don't get a second date. But if we're authentic, we're still performing. We're still putting forth our best effort. Now, hopefully we're the kind of people that we continue with that best effort for years and years to come. You know, it's not like we give this great performance, we get what we want, and then we take off. It's nothing to do with that. Every single day, we are trying to perform better to be more in service of the people that we love, the people around us. So even chivalry is a role that you play. Chapter three in, in Steal the Show is about playing the right roles in every situation. And we play different roles all day long. I play one role as a father and I have, uh, I'm, I'm getting remarried on December 13th, which is awesome. Congratulations. I never thought I'd get <laughs> married again, but I'm so psyched. Yesterday we went and bought my wedding band. I never thought I'd wear a wedding band again. <laughs> I want to wear it right now, but I have to wait till December 13th. And I have uh, now, I will have two stepchildren and all the kids uh, live with us um, uh, primarily. And my role with them is slightly different than my role with uh, my biological son. And those, all of those roles will change over time. But I have to know what's the right role in the situation. And, and, and these are questions that we are asking ourselves on a, a daily basis, hourly basis, even minute by minute, what is my role in this particular situation? How do I relate to these other people? Do I want to play a supporting role? Do I want to play a leading role? What's appropriate in this role, etc.? And if we get good at playing different roles authentically and we can amplify different parts of our personality as is appropriate for that particular situation, we tend to be very successful because we have different styles of behavior, different ways of being. And if you look at the most effective people in the world, they have lots of different styles of behavior. Most people will say, yeah, I really feel comfortable with them. Why? Because they're able to adjust their way of being authentically so that they fit in with that particular individual or group. Yeah, that's the key word, authentic. Because when you, when you say multiple roles, like it's easy to maybe say why do you need multiple roles? Why don't you just have one role and this is you and that's everything's authentic, but maybe is that too simplistic? You've got to adapt for each situation. Every yeah. situation is different. Do you know what's interesting? 
One of the things that's interesting, Duncan, is that I didn't think this was going to be an issue that I would talk much about on the on the book tour circuit. This idea that this conflict between playing roles and authenticity. I address it in the book because I, I know that it's something people consider, mm. but I didn't realize just how many questions I'd get about it until I went on the, the circuit, on the tour. So it's really interesting to me because what happens, and maybe we don't realize it until it's too late, what sometimes happens is if we, we in, the, in the self-help world, I think there's been a lot of talk over the years about being yourself. You have to be yourself no matter what. You have to, you, you have to stand for one thing and that's it. You know, there's this idea that if, you know, that because we've been often playing small, because we sometimes water ourselves down, because we play the role that other people want us to play, you know, we rebel against that, rightfully so. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to find our own voice and we're trying to find the role we want to play. But then we get stuck in this one role <laughs> as opposed to realizing that we play lots of different roles. So you're younger than I am and you're playing, you're, you see life a particular way right now. In 10 years, you'll see yourself and you'll see your life differently than you do today. You'll be playing a d another role. And another 10 years, you'll see it a little bit differently because if you look back on your life and you, and you think about, well, how did I act 10 years ago? Jeez, I was playing a different <laughs> role 10 years ago. And then you look back 10 years and you keep, and you realize, wow, I have played lots of different roles over the course of my life. I just never realized I was doing it until later on I go back and go, oh, no, no, now I really understand how things work. Mm. At that time, I, you know, but we just play different roles, different times of our life. And I think it's great to intentionally uh, decide what roles you want to play and when, and that you're not stuck in one. Simple as that. Yeah, it's interesting. With with that example you said just now, because because there was obviously the time thing, but um so for example, me ten years ago, that was the person I was then. Me now is the person I am now. But because because of the time, that there it was still one role. Can I can I be two people at the same time? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Because it, because there, that example, there was ten years apart. Now I'm twenty seven, but could I be you know, have those roles, but rather than having the time gap where I'm like, okay, I'm a different person. You've got like four, five, six different roles, but right now today. Yeah. Well, if you think you're too many people, then you might need to see the therapy. Am I schizophrenic? No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's multiple personality disorder. I'm not suggesting that, but what I'm suggesting is, is empathizing, not just with people around you to understand how other people think, but empathizing with yourself. I think you were the, se the second, the second, when you, the second you said empathize, I was like, shit, that's the word as in you hit the nail on the head empathy. Yeah. So you can actually, I'm talking to you and actually I'm relating to you from, I'm getting, you know, I'm putting myself in your shoes and actually, yeah. yeah. Second you so, said empathy, so that's, like, yeah. yeah, that's one thing is empathizing with other people, but also empathizing with different parts of yourself is understanding that there are parts of ourselves that we really enjoy. And there's other parts of ourselves that we don't enjoy that much, but, um, but they are all different parts of our character. So one of the things that is really interesting about Steal the Show is how I've taken acting technique and applied it to, to real life for non-actors. And when you think about what an actor does, an actor develops a character for a role so that they can help tell a story. 
That's what they do. And they develop lots of different characters. And if they're really talented actors, they can play lots of different characters and you believe them in all those different roles because they're very authentic when they're playing those characters. And when I think about our life, what are we doing with our life? We are making choices every day, just like an actor does, to develop the character, to show you that character, to tell you who that character is. We are doing the same thing every day. The choices we make, the things we do, the things we say, tells the world something about us. Yeah. And what it tells the world is who we are. And it's a demonstration of our character. So every day, the choices we make develop our character. And we either develop a character that plays big, that sees the world as their oyster, is loving, is gracious, is kind, is in service, or we develop a character that is not like that. So it's always your choice. That's yeah. my feeling. I love that. Yeah. When, you, when your missions is to rally people to, to think bigger about who they are and what they can offer to the world, yeah. what is it about that sort of mission that drives you so much? Honestly, it's, fun. it's, it's funny. I'm not even sure. It's almost <laughs> pathological. It's like if there's a, bil- a, burning across the str- a building across the street burning, call me. <laughs> but if you need someone to go to the post office, don't call me. I can't do – like the little things don't work for me. That's why I, you know, have a great assistant and I love a lot of help. But if it's a big situation, that's where I feel comfortable. I feel, I feel capable, and I always have, of handling those kind of big situations. But I've also run into lots of situations through my life where I felt I couldn't handle them. But I had to, you know, pull up my britches uh, and and increase my ability to handle the responsibility. So if you think about, let's say, take your business. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to your program uh, who are in business or they are working uh, towards moving up in the organization, you know, that they're in. So if you think about your level of success, it's in large part determined by how much responsibility you can handle. Yeah. If you can't handle a lot of, lot of responsibility, you, you don't tend to go for really big things because really big things require a lot of responsibility. If you want to grow a business and you want to make a ton of money and you want to make a difference, you're going to need employees. You're going to need customers. You're going to need business partners. You're going to need attorneys. You're going to need all of these different things. It's just absolutely mind-boggling how many things you need to learn, how many things you need to do to do something on a grand scale. And when I say grand scale, I don't mean Richard Branson grand scale. I'm talking about even just making a million bucks. Yeah, and a million bucks these days is not that much. You know, I'm trying to tell my kids, my kids kids say, Dad, are are you a millionaire? I'm like, dude, a million dollars is not going to take you very far anymore. (laughs) So you got to start thinking bigger because your college is going to cost a million dollars when you get there in 10 years. So, you know, we got to go bigger than that. So um, in any event, the point is, is that I think that there's a lot of responsibility associated with doing anything in the world that has meaning. And if we feel like we can't handle the responsibility, then we, we fall into overwhelm yeah. and we love overwhelm <laughs> and overwhelm is such a great place to be in because we don't have to do the things that are hard. And, and I think sometimes let's just laugh at it. Cause you know, so much of life, life is absurd. I, 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 in front of an audience, I'm very funny. One-to-one, not as funny. For some reason, on a stage, I'm hysterically funny. Don't know why. But at a dinner party, 
uh, I'm okay. I'm funny. I'm not adult, but I'm not the funniest guy in the room. On a stage, I'm funny. And the reason I find that I I see humor is because I think so much of our life is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> like, think about it. We right now are sitting in. You're in Germany. Right? <laughs> yeah. In Germany, I'm in New Hope, Pennsylvania. I've got a headset on with one thing on one ear, <laughs> one behind me. We're talking to microphones over Skype, uh, you know, and it's all kind of crazy in a way. It's absurd. And then we freak out like, oh, my God, the technology doesn't work. No, no, no. You know, and, 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 and our life falls apart. And I'm so overwhelmed by Skype and they made an upgrade and now I don't know what to do. <laughs> but it's all ridiculous. And yeah. so I, th I think that... That, you know, seeing the absurdity uh, in a lot of the things we do obviously gives you an opportunity to see the humor and to reduce the overwhelm that sometimes comes along with all of these things that we need to concern ourselves with and learn and worry about. Yeah. <laughs> You're making me look when, when we were saying that, I literally you're talking about like, oh no, Skype, the upgrade. Like yesterday I was like I was genuinely concerned about the fact that like the URL links were like, I couldn't I couldn't figure them out like on some stupid thing. I was like I just had to step away and I was like, what was that about? Like I, I genuinely took like an hour away from my life and I was like, just <laughs> that, that was the most useless hour of my life. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And then look, you know, I've got this book launch now, so you know, Steal the Show is so important to so many things we're doing. And how many books we sell matters and our ranking matters. And I just dropped a podcast yesterday and I've been saying I'm not doing a podcast forever. I just, I got on this thing where I just said, I'm just saying no, because everybody keeps asking if I'm doing one. And I figured, well, everybody does them. So I'm not doing it. That's just what I'm. So of course, Steal the Show comes along and it's about performance and I'm a performer. And I used to do voiceovers when I was an actor. That was my bread and butter. I did voiceovers for AT&T, Braun, Coors, MTV, uh, I used to do um, MTV's Rock and Jock Super Bowl. <laughs> I used to do the Box Music Network, all music, all the time. I mean, I used to do 1-800-CALL-ATT. You know, so that's what I did. So I figured, all right, you know what? I probably should do a podcast for the book. So I did, I, 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 I laid down 40 episodes in the studio in two days. <laughs> it was a marathon. It was intense. And uh, I slept very hard uh, the night, uh, those two nights that I was in the studio and you know, I'm very concerned about number of downloads. We dropped it yesterday and where are we in the rank in iTunes? You know, we, we got 5,030 something downloads on our first day. God, that's a good, that's yeah, a good it's a great day. day. Yeah. And so, you know, we were at the top 10 on business, but I wasn't one and new and noteworthy and I don't understand. And I'm all pissed off about the algorithms at iTunes. I'm like, this is ridiculous. How is that possible? All right, fine. I'll wait six more hours. Okay, fine. You know, because maybe the reviews didn't all go through and then the t it's ridiculous. <laughs> so it's just a kind of uh, game that's been set up that we play and that as a performer, you know uh, that your job is to delight and entertain and sometimes when I say, and, and not worry about all that stuff as much. So, and when I say entertain, I don't, I don't mean put on a, a you know, stand-up, you know, comedy mm. routine. Entertain means connect with people, make them feel different, think different, or even do something differently. And it, one of the things that I, I, I tell a little story about Bruno Mars and steal the show. And when Bruno Mars was selected to sing, to perform at the halftime ceremony at the Super Bowl, he got a lot of flack 
people complained. You know, he's not a name like Beyonce or Bruce or Mick or Madonna. And it was surprising to me because he had just won best album, Grammy album. He had just come off of a $72 million tour and he's a real professional. And he said, you know, he said, look, my job is not to listen to the critics. My job is to uplift the people. And it doesn't matter if it's at the Super Bowl or at a bar mitzvah. My job is to uplift the people. And I'm going to give the same performance wherever I go. And I'm always going to do my best. And I thought, that's a performer. That's a performer. That is a performer. Indina Menzel, who uh, sung the theme song from Frozen, uh, as well as the other songs from the movie, uh, is one of the most accomplished Broadway musical singers in history. She's one of the hardest working, most talented Broadway singers in history. And when she sang the theme song from Frozen at New Year's Eve in Times Square when the ball dropped, she, she missed the last note of the song. She, and it was, mind you, it was about 28 degrees out, so it actually was Frozen. And she's standing out there in 28 degrees singing a very difficult song. And the last note was a little like, I guess, I don't know, people would call it like a little screechy, like she pushed it a little bit. Well, the internet blew up. She's a hack. She's horrible. She's a joke. I mean, blew up. And you're thinking, oh, my God, how is this? Po-? So so she just pointed people to something she had said a few months prior. And she said, look, in a musical, there are about three and a half million notes to hit over the course of an entire musical. If I hit 75% of them, I've done a good job. And I am more than the notes that I hit. My job is to do my best, go back the next day, try to do a little better, go back the next day, try to do a little better. But she was able, at least in her mind, to silence the critics. And I write about this extensively in the beginning of Steal the Show because I think that if I teach you public speaking and performance techniques, but I don't help you um, take on the mindset of a performer, then you will add those techniques on to somebody who doesn't see themselves as a performer and it won't be authentic. So we need to see ourselves as a performer in, in, order, to, in order to perform. But the problem is we fear the critics because when you are performing, it means people are watching you. And when people watch you and you take the spotlight, sometimes people feel that you're no longer human and you are somebody to judge. That's just the way the world is. I don't understand it. I can't fix that one. Don't ask me to try to fix that one. All I know is that we can, we can choose how we respond to that. Now, audiences ultimately want us to do a good job because they want us uh, to give them a, a good show. But sometimes they distance themselves from us and they feel like they can criticize. So what we do is we worry so much about it. And as a result, we play small. We don't take risks. But the performer takes risks. Performer breaks the rules in order to create something new. I mean, anybody can tear something down. I'm not talking about that. That's the, that's the general, um, uh, mode of, uh, general modus operandi on Facebook, on Twitter. Break things down. Don't build anything. Just break them. But there are two types of critics. There are the internal critics and the external critics. And we fear the external critics significantly when the internal critics are very loud. 
know, they say, I'm not enough. I don't know enough. What, what do I have to say that hasn't been said before? I'm just not enough. That's what they say. And if those voices are loud, then the voices outside, you know, those people in the cheap seats, the ones who like to <laughs> push people down just to lift themselves up. You know, those types? Yeah, yeah. Boo. Get off right. the stage. You suck. Yeah. It's like, it's like they boo the best baseball player in the history of the world because he strikes out once. What? You get these guys who haven't run around the block in 20 years who are going, you're a bum! You suck! Go home! And like, really? I mean, really? This guy trains 12 hours a day, all day long, and you're telling him he's a bum. I, I don't get it. But, and, but that, that baseball player or that uh, any performer, anybody at the top, any CEO, if they spend their time criticizing themselves then those voices will be too loud and they'll be too overwhelming, those voices on the outside. Mm -hmm. So our job is to do what we can to silence or at least turn down the volume on the voices inside our own head. We will question ourselves. I think that's very difficult. At least I found it very difficult to eliminate entirely. Um, I did a podcast interview uh, yesterday and afterwards I was like, ah, I don't feel, I feel I was kind of, well, I was not really clear and I don't know, I didn't like it. And my fiance is like, Michael, actually, I thought it was one of your best. I'm like, oh, then I suck. If that was one of my best. <laughs> She's like, no, Michael, you're an idiot. I'm like, I know I'm an idiot. So the, I don't think those feelings go away all the time. But if we can quiet them down, then we don't worry about the external critics as much. And then we were willing to take more risks. Then we're willing to go out on a limb uh, and play different roles. Then we're willing to. Uh, to share all the different things that we stand for uh, and not, you know, pigeonhole ourselves or, or get caught in, in one thing. Then we're more willing to go and ask for the things we want because if somebody says no, we don't take it so personally. Mm. 